Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Probably 24 years ago, 24 and a half years ago, this couple had no thoughts of planting or leading a church. That, that is for certain sure. And we were in our 30s and we had four kids at school and we were both working in education and house mortgage, all those things, pretty, pretty settled, happy. And um, God's ways are often different to um, our ways and things often come, God's calling comes sometimes very left field when you're not actually even looking for it. So it's important, isn't it, that we always keep our mind open and fresh to the Holy Spirit's um, prompting of us of, of things to do. Admittedly, we were on a bit of a quest to understand church, to understand what church is and why it is and how it's supposed to be with a group of other people and a lot of them who were still here and part of the church and we were sort of on a bit of a quest together. And really we were wanting something for our, I guess a little bit selfishly initially, wanting something for our own children. We wanted our own children to have that experience of an amazing community of believers that really um, shared the redemptive love of, of God and we wanted them to, to know and experience that as they, as they grew up. And that was how that part of the journey began. But as far as us leading something or planting something, that wasn't part of the journey. So just by a little way of backstory, we had the situation where we were, we were actually at a conference, but we had some people, two people separately that we didn't know, came up and said, um, I, I believe that God is saying you're to plant a church. We thought... Well, that's really wrong because that's not going to happen. <laughs> so they got that wrong. And then probably maybe, <laughs> I don't know, a little bit after that we had someone else come up and say the same thing and we thought, that is really strange. Two people in a couple of hours that came and said something about planning a church. And so then together with the others that were on, a, on the same sort of journey with us, we began to seek and pray and and say, what are you saying, God? That would mean for us giving up our our work, our paid income, and still with school fees to pay and mortgages to pay and mouths to feed. And we were we did have others in the church that said, we won't let you starve. We'll make sure you've got food, which was very comforting for our children. And um, but there was another thing. There was one other thing. There was a third thing that happened, and that was. Probably a number of weeks, I've probably got it all out of order, but a number of weeks earlier when I had been at work, I got a phone call from a person that I didn't know who worked um, for a large government organisation in, in the area. And they rang and said, I believe that you are interested in starting a childcare centre. I said, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. And um, they said, oh, really, because, well, given your name. And I said, oh, I don't know, it must be the wrong person. No, that's, that's not me. And he said, because if you were, we, we'd be interested in buying half the places for the first two years. And I said, oh, wow, no, thanks. And he said, well, I'll leave you my number in case you change your mind. Okay. So I hadn't mentioned that because I just thought that was a strange happening and we were just doing what we were doing. But when we started to move through this journey, I said, I did have this really strange call the other day at work. And we thought, 
maybe we should ring him back. So we did ring him back and they hadn't approached anyone else and so God enabled amazingly for us to be able to to, to do both, to plant the church and to begin this um, this other business that then brought some income in to support us while we did the work of the church. So God's provision and God's enabling is everything that's behind this church. It's certainly not a plan that we said, wouldn't it be a great idea to start a church? Um, it's really, it's been really God's provision and enabling. Yeah. Yeah, so you've, you've picked up that, that um, this was sort of birthed out of a clear calling and you know sometimes you 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 hear something some something gets spoken um, whether it's direct word for you or whether it's something that you just sense in your spirit but you just know it's not it's out of the blue it's not something you were thinking about and so at that point you go if I don't follow this and obey this I feel like I'll be disobedient to God and and look with that by the way comes enormous amount of risk and faith um, you know, you've got to step out not really knowing what the future holds. So for us to be standing here today, and it's, it's worth knowing, if you're, if you're at some early stage of your Christian journey or you're not even a Christian yet, can I just say when, when, when we're standing here 25 years down the track, there was no way in the world we could have imagined. Um, it wasn't as if we said, look, we've, we've got this great vision, it's all going to happen because you know, we're very clever, we're going to roll this out, and we've got all, some, all sorts of money and resources behind us, we've got this massive team of people, we're going to build this enormous church, it's going to be fantastic and it's going to look like this. It wasn't like that. And, and I don't know that it was meant to be like that, it was just you go out in faith, you, you step out, you're obedient to God, you do the things that you feel God's called you to do, you use the gifts that God's given you to, you know, and God gifted us in planting and that's been our journey and we we just felt that we had to do it and so the journey you know you, you as you hear and read about the things that have happened over the years um, we don't have time to go into all the details you'll see a little some fun clips hopefully in a minute but it was a most exciting rewarding journey and here we are today um, just overwhelmed with gratitude of what God has actually done here in this church so thanks for being a part of it Um, from what I remember, uh, began in two schoolrooms at St. Philip's Christian College. And, and in that journey, the Lord started to put on my heart, uh, you know, some fairly major kind of challenges about what a Christian church should be. To not have to have all the bells and whistles and all the other things that sometimes we think are Christian. We had this sense that God was calling us as a community to start something new and we didn't enter into that lightly, it wasn't a quick decision. And uh, it was about people, and it was about doing community well, and to honour Jesus in the middle of it. So we came to the Granary in about 2009, at Easter. We'd just moved up from Sydney, and we were looking for a church. As soon as we walked in the door, my beautiful wife, who was carrying a child on a hip, was just surrounded by amazing people that made her feel welcome and made her feel home. Sue Irwin was my English teacher and must have thought I was low on friends or something and invited me along to youth group then. So I was part of a Christmas production. I had this one line, it got to the part of the show where I was to say it and I stepped forward to say my line. 
and some other guy stepped forward and cut me off and said it instead. And that was my introduction to serving at the granary. We were at music practice and there was no drummer. I became the drummer for that, for that Sunday celebration. <laughs> I guess I do remember, which I'm, I'm glad works sort of past this phase, that song Radiance, I think it's called. And it's like, um, let us walk in the light, turn not left, turn not right. Terrible. It's like this bunny hop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ross, I was thinking about um, the women's event that we had down at Glen Rock. Remember that one? How could I forget it? <laughs> where, where we said, um, so all we'd have to do is just get a truck and take, we could take the, all the stuff out of the lounge room of the Moyers house and the Burgesses and the Irwins. You know, when you said all we had to do, so all I had to do was go and hire a Pantec truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And load it to the hilt. Yeah, yeah. And actually made <gasps> at least two trips down the um, Glen Rock Road, which as yeah, you know is like yeah. going down yeah. Mount Everest. It was, but it was a wonderful event. Um, <clears throat> I think probably the most memorable uh, Sunday celebration for me over the past 20 years would be the one <laughs> in which Sue fell off the stage. <laughs> um, they had, you know, we'd cut to what was quite an emotional testimony video which was being played on the stage and Sue, because she wanted to make sure that everyone could see the screen, just sort of slowly kept moving backwards and backwards <laughs> to the side of the stage, but she took one step too far and went tumbling down. But not only did she go falling down, she took down, because it was Palm Sunday, an enormous big palm branch with her. <laughs> Meanwhile, the woman on the screen is crying. I can't remember what that was about. Who cares? <laughs> there was a woman in the flesh who was crying down here to the side of the stage. And everyone was like, oh! And people started flocking over. I remember Caleb saying that he uh, ran over and said, uh, um, are you okay? And she said, uh, I'm in a lot of pain, but it's my pride that hurts the most. <laughs> so I started making videos for the granary when I was like 12 or something. but. I've made a lot of ads, but of all the ads that we've made, I think one of my favourites has to be the Granary Care Dinner Dance um, featuring Ken and Sue Wellam. I think we'll just cut to a little bit of that so you can all understand how good this was. Save the date. And invite your friends. Tony Eckhart used to have a massive beard, a massive bush ranger, like, huge beard which he'd had for, I think, 30 years or something. Jenny had never seen him without it. Uh, amazingly, he came to us and said, hey, I'm actually thinking of shaving off my beard. Can we, you know, turn it into a game? So we turn it into this big game uh, and orchestrate it so that he lost. And then we had to shave his beard off in front of everyone. Unfortunately, his kids, Amelia and Daniel, didn't know that we were all in on it. So this became traumatic for them as we shaved off his beard and they thought that we were the most evil humans in the world. 
not long after Brett and I joined the granary, we were asked to um, host a um, connect group. Started with about four or five kids and ended up with about 24 kids in our lounge room that comfortably fit about six. There were times where, like I came home one day and I came home to a house full of young adults cleaning our house. <laughs> and that was just, that blew me away. Like they were there vacuuming and some of them were sitting on the lounge and just, they were just hanging out and it was just, an amazing picture for me. That's only something that really family, we, we thought family would be doing for us. I remember we used to have these boys nights and the, uh, the next morning we would always get to church super early and open up all the windows, all the doors, just to clear the smell. The sun didn't stink. One of my fondest memories of youth was we used to make these little movies called Superhero Sarah. We got the opportunity to go on a couple of the early mission trips and these were before um, the ritzy mission trips that, you know, some of you guys have been on since we get to stay at the Best Western. A lot of the locals would bring little, little um, bottles of oil for us to anoint them and pray for them and pray for healing. And it was amazing. There was, there was people who, were, who got their voices back and all sorts of other amazing things that happened. But I remember one night, one of the guys um, got this little bottle of oil and he had no idea what to do with it. So he emptied like the entire bottle and just lathered up this poor Indian woman's whole face and shoulders. It was the whole beauty treatment. <laughs> you know, early on, I remember Paul West saying, we are blessed to be a blessing. And that, we, you see that, that's so evident through the whole church all the time. Mm. Even now with however many hundreds and hundreds that we have coming to the granary, it's still, it's all about um, that community and that sense that you are valued and that you have an identity uh, as a part of the granary, yes, but more than that, you have an identity as, as somebody that Jesus loves. That video is actually from uh, our 20th celebration. And uh, when we first found that in the archives just recently, we realised how um, we need to laugh again as people. The West has become so serious. The whole world's become so serious. And it's actually, so when we ask people to tell their memories, most of them told funny memories. Theo remembers me falling off the stage most of all. And I've heard that a lot. It actually did hurt, by the way. It was over in the old building and I actually fell flat on my back and um, stunned myself. But anyway, it wasn't just one palm branch. It was an entire wall of palm branches that went down with me as well. Yes, and that video of Tony Urquhart was at the youth camp. We didn't do that in church service one day. It was back in the days when I was youth pastor and I trusted Josh and Asher with lots of leadership and that's the sort of thing that happened back in those days. So that's where we've come from. It's really good to hear where we've come from. And if you've joined recently or in the last however many years, it's really good to know what we're built on. Now we're going to look at a section of um, where we are. And I want to talk a little bit about firstly where the world is. It's really important for us to understand where we are in the world world to understand where we are as a church. And, uh, and I'll be referring to a book by Mark Sayers, who's the pastor of Red Church in Melbourne, who um, is an amazing thinker who works a lot with John Mark Comer in um, Portland to help us understand where we are and where we fit in. And Mark says that um, at the moment we're in a time between eras and it's called a grey zone. And we're not the first group of people in the world to be in a time between eras. It's important to understand that, that there have been lots of eras that have come and gone in this world. Sometimes we think that, we intend to think that the world that you live in now is like 
we know the most and we're experiencing the most. And that's actually not true. We're actually in the middle of an era between, sorry, between two eras and it's happened a lot of times before us. Um, and historians have shown how it's happened in the Victorian era with the um, Industrial Revolution, with the Belle Epoque in France, which was in the 19th century and eras before that as well. And the era, the time between two eras is called the grey zone. And in the grey zone, it's where the past is gone and there's things that we want to take with us and there's a future coming and we're not sure what it is. And that's where we sit at the moment, in particularly in the Western world. And the things that um, are noticeable in these times, three things that they find in these times, the first one is anxiety. And this is actually called an, an age of anxiety when everything has changed and it hasn't gone the way we wanted things to go or expected things to go. We weren't prepared for things to go the way that they've gone. And people are afraid of institutions, afraid of governments, afraid of lots and lots of things and afraid of dying. And it's affected us. It's affected us all. Anxiety's crept in in more ways than we can realise. So it's good to stop and see this is what's happened. Politicisation and polarisation, I don't need to say much about that. All of us have experienced people dividing on so many issues, not just in our nation but in nations around the world and then right down to families being um, polarised over different issues and individualism. And interestingly, studies show that in cultures where people are poor, they band together in times of crisis and they turn to God. But in cultures where people are wealthy and comfortable, they tend to isolate and turn away from each other and not turn to God. And that's why in the West, studies already have shown that in the West, 20, somewhere between 20 and 50% of people have not gone back to church because people have, have pulled away from each other. And so Mark Sayers writes this, There is a deep sense that many have fallen into the contemporary pattern of life, one of continual consumption, ever-present anxiety and self-focus, an unsustainable pattern. Many are realising that what they long for can only be satisfied by the eternal God. Be assured that seeds are being laid for a great renewal of our personal faith. So what he's saying is something good is happening. It just has not looked like that for a bit. But God has actually got an amazing plan. In fact, I read a book during COVID. I was, uh, we were walking one day and we bumped into a couple from our church and I felt the Holy Spirit saying, as I was talking to this woman, she has something that you need to hear. So she's, we're talking on and she suddenly told me about a book that she was reading and I just felt like this is what it is. So I, I got the title of the book and I bought it and it was a story written in 2019 um, by a man who was um, a Messianic Jew. In other words, he's a Jewish rabbi who's become a Christian and he had a heart attack and died and obviously Miraculously, he came back to life after a time, but he was pronounced dead. And, and one of the things that he discovered when he was in heaven was that it was going to be a global pandemic. I find that really interesting. He wrote that before and it made me realise that God knows. Just a reminder, God knows what's going on and God is doing something purposeful in the earth. And so this is what's, it's time to look at what's happening in churches in the West. And Mark goes on to write, Just as there appeared to be a link between cultural anxiety and a period of comfortability... The Belle Epoque, which I said was 19th century, birthed worry. And it's interesting to know that because we've seen worry and fear come in and we think, oh, this is just now. No, this has happened over and over again. The same dynamic also seemed to blunt the mission of the church. Martin Lloyd-Jones, looking back, warned that we should never forget the pride and arrogance of the church in the 19th century. Behold her sitting back in self-satisfaction, enjoying her so-called cultural sermons and learned ministry, 
observed the prosperous Victorian comfortably enjoying his worship, how constantly he denied the spirit of the New Testament. Wealth, stability and comfort had appeared to blunt the mission of the church. Comfortable times create comfortable Christians. And perhaps God has been stirring us up in the West because we have become comfortable Christians. Because life in the West has become so easy in so many ways and I know that we can talk about the stresses that we're going through but you know next week I'm going down to Parliament House with a group of 40 women leaders Christian leaders from around the nation with through Micah to ask our federal government to increase our aid to those who are starving now I had a briefing about it the other day and currently in the world right now 50 million people are on the brink of starvation. 50 million, that's twice the population of this nation. And the woman who was talking about described what happens to the children when their organs start to shut down because they don't have enough food. And how 800 million people in the world are without enough food. And as this woman explained it, she said, but the thing is, the answer is very simple. The Western nations have enough money to solve the problem. And that really actually made me want to cry when I think of the comfortable lives that we live in the West. And yes, there are struggles for us, but we don't have to worry about are our children going to die of starvation or what we're going to do for them when we, we can't feed them. And, and so, so often in my life now, I've seen the church be the last to run for those who are struggling. We often miss it. And it's, I really believe God is stirring us up to, in all ways, to fulfill the, the, um, mission of our, the vision of our church to bring heaven to earth through building the kingdom of God within our personal relationship among as us as a community and reaching beyond in whatever way that we're called to do. And God is stirring us up for that. And so in this time that we've been through, we've been taking a sober assessment of, us, of ourselves as a church. And as we work this out, we want to look at what's been great and what hasn't been great, what our strengths are and what areas we need to work on to improve so that we can be strong for the future. And this is some of the things we discovered, and you may discover some more, but this is a little brief overview. Firstly, over two years of a pandemic, we've seen people hang in there with each other. And that's amazing. Well done for doing that because it hasn't been easy. We saw through Granary Care and our cafe here during COVID 16,000 meals being made. Do you realise how amazing that is? Start to try to make 16,000 meals and incredible thing that happened. In fact, when I was writing this, I thought, hang on, it can't must be 1,600. So I texted someone and then someone corrected me in the 8.30. It's actually 17,500 meals. So it's enough to feed a small town. We saw people continuing to give through tithes and offerings to mission, to a COVID care fund and to the church in general, which was outstanding. And one thing Graham and I were really praying and believing through that time um, for St Philip's where he works and here is that for our staff, that no one would lose their roles, no one would lose their jobs, and uh, and God was faithful to that through faithful people. We saw an amazing team transition to church online in one week. That was amazing, actually, because one Sunday we realised we weren't going to be opening the next Sunday, and in that week everyone had to pivot everything, and then we had to work out how to do it. And not only do we have to work out how to do it technically, the, tr- the trickiest thing was us to work out how to do it looking at a camera because none of us had ever preached to a camera before. We found it's not easy. And then the worst thing is you've got to sit at home and watch yourself the following Sunday. That's the most painful part of it. 
Then we saw the church rally to all the changes and restrictions and laws for two years and that was a really big thing because, as you know, sometimes the, the laws change week by week. That was actually quite stressful because we didn't want to do something in church and then find out the police were knocking on our door saying, you weren't meant to sing. So sorry, we just didn't know the rules. And um, But we saw connect leaders who kept meeting by Zoom despite the difficulties. We saw our youth and young adults ministries doing amazing things to keep the strong community. We saw the VIPs create... 15 care groups of 10 people each where everyone was rung every week to make sure that they were okay, particularly those who were all by themselves. As one of our VIPs, one of our seniors said to me during that, good thing I know Jesus because he was the only person I had to talk to for quite a long time there. We saw our kids' ministry develop drive-through packages for kids and our pastoral care team drop packages at people's homes and we did a survey and we saw that many of you continue to grow in your faith and actually rely on God despite the difficulties and despite the, the, the isolation. So we saw some amazing things. But we also haven't been immune to the problems of the world and sometimes we can think if we're in the church we're not in the world but actually we're in both and sometimes without realising it we bring things that are around us in our society into our church rather than the other way around. And so we saw some of the things that we need to work on. We saw the effects of isolation and we saw how we really need community and so in that time that some people actually drifted away from community and we saw how important community is to us, particularly as followers of Jesus, to keep pursuing him. We saw the effects of not gathering together for worship and we discovered more than ever how we need these people up the front to lead us in singing praise to God because something powerful happens when we sing praise to God. And we were stopped by that for a long, long time. And and I imagine that not everybody here stood up in their lounge rooms with Church Online and sang praises out loud. And some of you will say you did, but um, I know probably most didn't. And we need to do that. There's something powerful that happens when we do that. We saw people being hurt and fractured. We saw people actually falling apart with each other. And we're sorry that people have been hurt. And some people weren't protected and we saw that happen within our own community. We saw how different people responded to the polarisation and the individualism that created anxiety. We saw people struggle with their faith because everything in the world suddenly didn't make sense. And we realised that our faith must be built on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And if we've led anyone to base their faith on anything else, on a nice community on um, people who are perfect, it doesn't work. Our faith has to be built solely on the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which changes everything. We saw some people not return to church, and we realised that for some of us we'd made church really lovely entertainment. A pastor in New York that when COVID was over, he and his wife went to a show on Broadway and they loved it and they had a nice time. And as they were driving home, they said, that was great, we should do that again. And he said he realised for, for many of us in the West that's what church was like. We don't have an issue with it, it's just nice and we should go sometime. And God is calling us to something much greater than that. And we realise that to be true followers of the way, it's not just calling ourselves Christians, it's actually being people who are like Jesus actually wanting to follow you know in in the in book of acts you see before people were called christians they were called followers of the way 
And followers of the way means following Jesus in everything and actually becoming like him, being his apprentices or his disciples. And I believe that God is shaking up the church to ask us, are we followers of the way or not? And Mark Sayers says this, We see this pattern throughout Scripture and church history. For even in the seemingly darkest and most confusing times, God brings forth a cohort of leaders, ordinary people with an extraordinary role to play as carriers of his seed of renewal. Through surrendering to God's will, they discover and then advance his pattern of renewal in the world. And so as we come out of this past couple of years and as we navigate our way through this grey zone, I believe God is calling each one of us to look at ourselves and to ask ourselves, what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it really mean to be the church? And even I have you know, asked myself, what is this all about? And why do I even do what I do? And as it, when it gets down to it, I've had some profound experiences in my life. Once as a, a child, many of them, but some significant ones as a little girl, as an older teenager, and then subsequent times in my life where I've experienced incredibly powerfully the love of God. I've experienced it and have been filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And someone said to me recently in an Alpha course, can you explain the Holy Spirit? I thought, no, I can't explain the Holy Spirit. But I said, the Holy Spirit is the game changer. The Holy Spirit is the one that fills us with the presence of God. And I believe God is calling us back to that, that I want to see people actually experience the love of God and his Holy Spirit and know who they are and why they were born and why they're here so that they can all bring the honour and glory to God that he deserves. And I really believe God is shaking us up to that, that we can become those people and that we would in this era, if you look in the history of eras, you'll find that in the history of eras there were believers in the time who were brave and bold who created a massive difference. You see the Wesley revival, the Salvation Army revival, um, the, the revival that happened through Charles Spurgeon with the Baptist Church, all coming, the Welsh revival, and because there were people who stayed, who were able to wrestle with what they were going through in that grey zone, put their faith and trust in Jesus and bring hope to thousands, millions of people. And that's where we sit at the moment. So to finish off, where are we going? And uh, we'll unpack where we're going more over the, the next few months as we uh, move into a whole new series. But today I want to outline a few things that I really believe the Holy Spirit's putting in our hearts as a church. You know, at the beginning of COVID, um, as I was praying, I felt God saying, it's going to be like a blanket of snow and when it melts, it's like the ground is bare. But new shoots come through. I felt God saying new shoots will come through. You know how grass, bulbs, all different sorts of flowers and life comes through. And as I, and I really think that's what's happening now. I felt God saying that, you know, two years ago, two and a half years ago. And, and I feel you are those new shoots and those new buds. God is bringing to life to do amazing things through. Someone else gave me a word right at the beginning of that saying, I see um, a bomb has gone off and it's going to be you walking through the rubble, putting the pieces back together. So that wasn't very encouraging, but <laughs> not far from the truth. And so um, 
The flowers was the prettier one, I have to say. But this is where we are, everyone. And how do we move ahead? Mark Sayers says this, even in our grey zone moment, God is moving history toward his ends. For those with eyes to see, the seeds of renewal are everywhere. When viewed through a biblical lens, grey zones are moments that often precede renewal and rebirth. And that's who we are. And this takes all of us now to sit down and say, you, each one of you, has the ability to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, to hear what he's saying and to play your part in being the church in the world at the moment in this crucial time of history. So what are we going to do? Firstly, discipleship, which is a big word for saying becoming followers of the way of Jesus. Now, Christians were first called followers of the way rather than Christians. And that word Christian is can mean a lot of things. I think Jesus is saying, I know he's saying to us, but will you be followers of the way? Followers of the way means when Jesus says, come and follow me, before you've worked it all out, which you'll never, by the way, totally work it all out, as you become a follower of the way, you live like Jesus lived. You follow Jesus even to the point of dying to yourself so that God can raise you again. And this is what it means to be a follower of the way. And I believe that perhaps as you look at the church in the West, some aspects of the church have lost what it actually means to be a follower of the way. It actually means loving people in the same way that Jesus loved us. And to understand this, that to be a follower of Jesus means that your faith is in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. It's that. When the church was first birthed, this is what happened. The Holy Spirit filled those people and they went out of the building because they'd seen Jesus die. They'd actually seen him raised from the dead. They waited patiently as one and the Holy Spirit filled them and they walked out the door and they had the ability to share the good news of Jesus in the languages of all the people who were present and they got it and 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord on the very first day. And this is before they even had the scriptures that we have now. They were filled with the Holy Spirit because the power of the resurrection changed everything. And the infilling of the Holy Spirit was the game changer for them. And I want to say that for us as well. The power of the res of the death and the resurrection changed everything. And the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life is the game changer for everything. The everything. And so I really believe God is saying to us, will you be a follower of the way? Not a Christian by name who acts nice, but will you be a follower of the way? Will you identify with the poor and the marginalised and the broken? Will you sit with people in their dust and their pain? Will you have hope for people when they've lost hope? Will you be someone who is restoring people back to life, someone who encourages people, someone who blesses people and prays for people and gives generously? Will you be a true follower of the way of Jesus? And there is a cost. It's called your whole life. But you receive life in abundance. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. And therefore, when we become disciples of Jesus, you might be here today and you're not even sure if you're a Christian yet. You might not. You might know you're not a Christian yet. But when Jesus called his first disciples, he just said, come and follow me. And he didn't say to them, do you know who I am? Do you believe X, Y, and Z? Do you tick all these boxes? He didn't say that. He just said, follow me. And he's asking us to do the same. Will we just follow him? He said this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know. Not if you've got your doctrines on baptisms worked out. Not if you turn up to church every Sunday. 
if you love one another. That's how we run. And if you look at that first sentence, it says this, a new commandment I give you, love one another, full stop. Love one another. Then he explains what that looks like. He said, not mean just being nice, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this is what changes the world. And without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to do that. And so we are uniting ourselves. One thing I know from when Lee and Richard first planted the church is this, that it took people committed to God and committed to one another and everyone was a level playing field. And so secondly, I believe, and I know you'll know this as well, that in this world people are searching for authenticity and community. People want to be in a church where people are real where no one has it all together and they're on it, where we know that, but everyone's honest about it. And you can be in leadership or you can be just here for the first day and we're all still growing to become like Jesus, all of us. And all of us will have our struggles and all of us will have our pain and our grief and our sorrow, but we are the body of Christ who is there for one another. And so we are called to be authentic and to allow people to come in and hear that we are all people becoming more like Jesus every day and we will encourage each other in doing that and next I need I believe we need to be a place of safety where you can come in with any of your mess and your brokenness and you can say this is my mess and my brokenness and we say thanks for sharing may we introduce you to Jesus and may he do something profound in your life and I've discovered in the last couple of years that as safe as I thought we we were we're not quite as safe as I would like us to be that there are spaces where we need to learn to listen and um, I believe through a lot of people in our church, I've learnt the value of listening more and more as life has gone on, um, starting with our um, First Nations brothers and sisters. I've just learnt to listen. Listening is such a profound thing. And I've learnt to listen to people with their struggles in so many areas of life and to weep with people and realise I don't really understand what's going on in people's hearts and lives, but I know the one who does and I know the one who can bring wholeness and healing. And listening is so important. And I've listened to single people in our church who are single, who've never been married, who have been divorced, who have been widowed, and I've discovered that sometimes it's hard to be single in a church and we need to change that. We need to make it a place where everyone is loved and valued. And I've listened to same-sex attracted people and I've discovered it's the same for them. It's hard for them and it's very hard for their families and everyone needs to be loved and valued. And I've listened to people who've gone through financial difficulties and there's a sense of shame that comes over people with financial difficulties when others have more. And we want this to be a place of generosity where everyone is loved and valued and where we have answers for people and help for people. And even though we already have courses for grief and loss and divorce and marriage, and we want to add to that so that everyone comes and there is healing and wholeness for everyone regardless of what life has dealt you. God will be glorified through anything that's happened in your life and that's the hope that we have. And so on very practical levels, a couple of years ago we organised to have another church independent review, um, which we did back in 2015, and we didn't realise we were about to go into COVID and so it's come at a, at a it's very timely. And so we're currently developing a whole lot of teams that are happening looking at our governance, at our constitution, our communication processes, our policies enabling us to deal with any issues in safe ways grievance policies, human resources policies, everything is being looked at, reviewed and if necessary rewritten. They're going through a whole process to make sure that we all engage with it. 
multiple teams with multiple people working on multiple areas so that we can make sure that we have a strong foundation for our church for the future in this new era that we are moving into, which we don't really understand. We want to do our very best to make sure that we are safe in many as many ways as possible. Um, our safe church process, which I know that some people think, why do we all have to do it? Because we want to be a safe community. Whether we're here or whether we're out anywhere, we want to be people who say we're here to protect children and the vulnerable as well. And we want to learn how to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. And as Mark says, there's none, none of us are actually trained to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world, but the church, because you see, fear is the opposite to love and perfect love casts out all fear. And if we can be found in Jesus, we can be the non-anxious presence in the anxious world and we can invite people in and say, it doesn't matter what toil and trouble you're going through, there is a God who loves you, he gave his life for you and he is going to redeem everything. And so we are about to launch today a church survey which we want everyone, if you would, to participate in because we want to hear from everyone because we've always been a church that loves to go together and our survey will enable us to go together. So um, it'll you'll get a card today and you'll get an email during the week and if you don't, give us a call then and we want to hear from you. It's anonymous so you can um, fill it in and... We want to hear what everyone thinks. And, and on the 22nd of um, September, we're doing a Join the Journey dinner, which we did pre-COVID, if some of you remember, and it was a, a part of our process for um, people joining the journey of serving in any way in our church. We want to relaunch that and invite everyone who would like to come because we want to re-onboard all of us to remind ourselves why we do what we do. If you're serving in the car park or at the front door, you're not just in the car park or the front door. You're creating this family environment where someone comes in the door and the Holy Spirit will speak to them in profound ways and you played an integral part in that. Or if you're in children's ministry or worship team or whatever you might be doing, noticeable or not noticeable because you're so far behind the scenes that all of us play a key part in bringing heaven to earth. That's what we're called to do. And so we need to ask ourselves, where are our hearts and minds? Who or what do you worship and is the thing you worship worthy of your worship? Whatever your heart and mind is devoted to all the time is really what you worship. And I believe Jesus is saying this to us, make me the centre of your mind. If you're worried, set your mind on Jesus. If you're anxious, set your mind on Jesus. If you've had trouble and brokenness, set your mind on Jesus. Be constantly aware of his presence and he will begin to transform us. Mark says, says, to renew is to make new, to bring back to life. We see this most clearly as Jesus, God in human form, took death and sin upon himself on a Roman cross. For three days the Son of Man, like a seed, lay in the cold ground. Yet on the third day Jesus rose. The power of resurrection was let loose in the world. A new spiritual era was born. Salvation was, salvation was now available to all who fell at the feet of the risen king. Those who decided to follow him would become more like him. There is a hunger for renewal, revival and awakening brewing among God's people. There is a longing among God's people to see his church live out its potential. This hunger for renewal is happening across denominations. This longing is global across the world from Scandinavia to South America. There are thousands who see the culture changing rapidly and who pine to see the presence of God fall in new ways to revive his church. I just want to finish with this little story. The, once when I was in India, I went out to uh, with our team to a slum and um, the Varma, who is now on our worship team up at Maitland, 
he was leading this and he was while well, I was speaking and he was the translator. And we're in this slum and I was holding someone's baby in the slum. And he said to me later, do you know what you did when you held that baby? And I said, no. He said, well, these people are the untouchables. No one touches them or their children. And that meant so much that you would actually hold their baby. And as I reflected on that, I realised that what I'd done there without realising it, not trying, I came from a different culture. I came to a culture where I didn't know about untouchable people and I touched them because that's what you do in my culture, our culture. And it's like, and I felt God saying, and this is how I want you to be as my followers, that you are so filled with the culture of the kingdom of heaven that you don't even have to think about it, that you just bring the culture into this world and people see a different culture to the world. They see the incredible redemptive love of God. They see people who will lay their lives down for one another. They see people filled with hope and with peace and with joy. And you're not trying to do it. It's just because your mind is on the Son of God who gave his life for you. And as he does that, he changes everything within you and you take something new into this world. And that's who we're called to be. And that's why Jesus says this, a new command, a command I give you, a command, not a new suggestion, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. And so our whole vision for this year to know and be known is encapsulated with that, that we would know, experience the love of God, that we would be known fully by God, we'd be honest with ourselves and God, and then we would love each other in the same way. And by this all the world will know that we are his disciples. If we love one another, this is what we're called to do and it comes when we surrender totally our lives to Jesus. Let's take a moment. The worship team is going to sing and the powerful Holy Spirit who is full of truth and beauty and love is here and he wants to speak to each one of us. So take a moment to hear what he's saying to you. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.